Happy International Women's Day um, and what an amazing day to come on my podcast um, I'm going to introduce you in a minute but the reason why I do Heal With The Real is just due to um, domestic abuse in my past and I ended up writing the book Fix Your Future and what Fix Your Future was about was my healing journey um, and what I realised, I came to realise was I'd never really healed from domestic abuse that had happened a long time ago and I was always looking externally for love instead of looking internally. So I went away and I did all that work, that healing work that I needed to do. But I wrote my book, Fix Your Future, and I wrote in the back of the book all the healing tools that I personally use. So, um, yeah, that's that's my book. And that's the reason why I do Heal With The Real. And I interview every week amazing women who have gone from trauma to triumph or have worked in domestic abuse um, and supporting women and children, you know, to understand what coercive control is. So my guest tonight is Ree Pearson. Do you want to introduce yourself? Just say a little bit about where you're from and your background. Right, okay. Um Hello everybody and thank you for watching. Um, I'm Ree. I am uh, the, the founder of a community interest company called Be Kind No Excuses. I have a book called Be Kind No Excuses. Um, I'm a retired police officer. I'm married to my third husband because my band of acceptability is very narrow because of my background around um, working with victims and with perpetrators of domestic abuse so my husband um, there's no gender gap in this house at all um, I've got three grown-up children uh, one of them still lives with me because he's at college and a little dog and we live at the seaside we live in a, a lovely town in, on the northeast coast called Whitley Bay Nice. Um, so I'm literally about 30 yards away from the sea. So um, when I was six years old, my dad brought me down to the coast because we lived in Washington, okay. which is about 12 miles over there. Yeah. Um, it, it, Washington was a new town in the 70s. It was all growing and growing and growing. And he brought me to the coast one weekend. I remember it vividly because I got in the car, I was in the back of the car and we got to the seafront and I was like, when I'm a big girl, I'm going to live here. Mm -hmm. No, I do. <laughs> wow. Isn't it funny how you can manifest those things even that young? Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, it was it was just beautiful. It's a beautiful coastline. The northeast is a beautiful coastline. And also, I just I love because oh gosh, when I look at the sea, if you stand on the edge, because I call myself a lady on the edge, if you stand on the edge and look at, at the sea and you can't see anything around behind you, anything. You could be anywhere in time mm. because that's a constant. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be, it could be 1705. It could be 1066. It could be, you know, a million years ago because the sea is a constant, isn't it? And I actually find that very grounding. It yeah. connects me with my ancestors. Yeah. It's that ebb and flow, isn't it? That yeah. constant ebb and flow. It's it's the energy is amazing. I'm very respectful. Yeah. <laughs> It just does something for you, doesn't it? Even being by the by the sea, it just it's a wonderful place. And you know, some I go to um, oh gosh, it, it, the sands down there. I'm just trying to think of the place. I can't, it'll come to me, but 
they're really golden sands and sand dunes around Washington area. Um, some beautiful beaches yeah. along that coastline. Yeah, Beadnell, Bambra, all the way up, you know, and, and there are castles yeah. and it is absolutely beautiful. I do love living here. Nice. If it was just hot more. Yeah. It, it was 31 degrees this summer, but, you know, yay, global warming. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not normal. Like, I've been here 30 years now. Wow. I've lived in this. I've worked my way to the seafront from buying a property up there and then I got into town and then sort of like got closer and closer to the edge but 30 degrees is not normal for the for this you know global warming's real <laughs> my god how scary yeah so tell me a bit bit about your background in policing what what, what was that like oh well it's like any any other um well I suppose it's not like any other job is it no it's mad it's actually a mad job um, what happened with the police? I, I was working in a factory. I got married very young. And I was working in a factory and I wasn't very happy. And I was bored because I'm a bit like, I've got ME at the minute, but I'm when I'm not, on, I'm a bit like Tigger. You know, like so many of the poo. Yeah. Doing, 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 everything. Um, but I was a bit bored. And I was coming back from work and I lived in a place called Bensham in Gateside, which has a really big Jewish community. So Friday afternoon in Bensham is crazy busy. It's great, there's little shops and people are running around because they're preparing for the Sabbath. And it was a sunny July day and I'm sitting on a bus and the bus is sitting in traffic in on my way home and I'm in Bensham on this bus. And I was like, I'm really bored, but I, lo I loved where I lived because the hustle and bustle of it on a Friday was great. But there was a, a bakery and there was a, a police car, a panda police car, little police car, mm -hmm. parked on double yellow lines outside the bakery on a Friday afternoon. And two female police officers walked out and they had, I don't know, whatever they had in their hands in like pies and cakes and stuff. And they were laughing. These two officers were laughing really, really hard. And I thought, I could do that. <laughs> I can laugh for a living and eat pies and cake. You know, <laughs> that's fine. I'll do that. But I, my friend Janet, who lives in Holland, she she had a place just down the road from me. We've been friends for a long time. She moved out to Holland. But um, on a Thursday night, the local evening paper, and this is before the internet, right? I'm totally well maybe the internet was around but we didn't have access to it yeah. um the, the local evening paper used to have a job section yeah I remember <laughs> and we were really naughty actually we used to look at the job we, we used to get oh my god we used to get a couple of bottles of wine on a Thursday night and and drink and go through the job section and apply for jobs we thought were like fancied having a look at okay not really like just to see and there was I mean there was one of them um because I wanted to know you know how you know these long finger biscuits with chocolate on the end on each yeah. end I wanted to know how they got the chocolate on each end so I actually applied for a job at Northumbria Fine Foods and got an interview so I could go and have a look in the factory <laughs> and I did get the job actually 
okay. <laughs> and then I had to say, I'm sorry, no, thank you. But um, that that Friday, I saw these two police officers coming out of the bakery laughing. I was like, that's for me. And on the following Thursday, Northumbria Police were advertising in that job uh-huh. section. So I applied. So it's their fault. <laughs> they know. They know who they are. So I ended up applying for the job. I had no idea what was what was going on. Never been in a police station in my life. Wow. Never had. I'd never even had a conversation with a police officer. I didn't know any. How old were you then? I was twenty-two. Okay. So I was twenty-one. I was twenty-one at that time. And yeah. by the time I got through the application process and the fitness tests and the eye tests and the got everything else tests that they used to do back then, I got in. I was twenty-two. Wow. Wow. Mad. So how did you work your way up to become safeguarding? And... I don't know. I was never promoted. So you went straight into that job? When you, when you start the police, you start as a police constable and you're in uniform. Yeah. You do a length of time. When, when I started, you went in, you did two years in what you call a probationary period okay. where they could sack you at any time. To be honest, I didn't know what I was doing until I got about five years in. Because everything happens every day is different. Yeah. And I actually remember the moment when I, I was in, I walked into the police station at Gateshead and I had the radio and the control room said, I've, I've, I've got a job. Can, is anybody available for a job? And they didn't say, because they never used to say what the job was. They used yeah. to wait for the sucker to say, I'll do it. And then they'd tell you and it'd be like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they they shouted up. I remember the moment they shouted up as a job. I had five years service in and I thought, whatever he says, I can do it. Doesn't matter what it is, I can do it. But I had five years in. Okay. So the first two years, I was just basically not being killed. But after that, I was kind of learning. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it does take a long time for you to, to get through that process that was what the process was then right okay um so I went I was in uniform for about nine years and then I started looking around for different things so I was working this out a couple of weeks ago I said to my friend probably I had about 12 or 13 different jobs in the time that I was in the police wow. and I never got promoted because I got married I went reduced hours which was very Hadn't, hadn't happened actually the the whole my boss just assumed that I was going to quit and actually said to me which would not happen these days <laughs> said to me oh you should stay at home and look after your baby can you imagine a superintendent getting away with that now wouldn't get away with it there would be hell on when they'd be front line on the head daily telegraph um it was assumed that and there weren't that many female officers then and, and I'm what, guessing, would it be hard even to get a promotion as a woman? No, it's not hard. Um, but I had, I was, I, I got married. I had my two kids. I, I, when I went, when I had my eldest child, I went reduced hours because there was a female officer who was a chief inspector at the time. So it's like that much rank above me. And she was having her babies at the time and she didn't want to quit either. So she persuaded the management, proper management, to let officers go reduced hours. So I, in my first maternity, as I took 
like nine months off or something during that nine month period I was very fortunate because that chief inspector happened to manage to get the boss to let Northumbria police officers go reduced hours so I came back on 20 hours wow instead of the full-on full thing and I was given a day job as well they were very accommodating but I never got promoted because I had another baby and then my marriage went pear-shaped because I started working um, in the field of domestic abuse. Okay. And then I was... Well, how did that happen? How did you suddenly become... Oh, okay. <laughs> That's another story. Um, we, um, it used to be... And we're talking like early, early to mid-90s. And people would phone the police. Bearing in mind that... Most calls for domestic abuse are arguments, maybe a breach of the peace and a common assault or a combination of those things. And at that time, the legislation did not allow police officers to arrest for common assault. Mm -hmm. It didn't have a power of arrest. So cops would get there and it would be like, well, what was you? We'll take him to his mum's. Yeah. Yeah. But then they decided that they would have somebody contact the victim, which was usually a woman, the day after, and say, don't worry, pet, everything will be all right. Or words to that effect, depending where you are in the country. Okay. That was the that was a Northumbria version. That was also this version in 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 West Yorkshire as well. Yeah. And actually, West Yorkshire and Northumbria are actually um, very similar. They're actually in the same family of forces, okay. along with Greater Manchester. They're all like quite similar. Yeah. Anyway, so it was usually the pregnant policewoman, because once you got pregnant, you weren't allowed to go out. So they had to give you a job in the police station. And at that time, the pregnant policewoman was, it wasn't me, it was another lady. And she wasn't having a very good time with her pregnancy. It was all, she was very poorly. And just as she called in sick one day, I was walking past the boss's office. So the boss called me in and he said, Jane's not very well. You need to do her job. And I was horrified. I was like, absolutely, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. I'm kicking doors in. I'm chasing burglars. It's car crime. I was chasing cars in the middle of the night and all that. Mm. Um, I'm not doing that. I'm not ringing people. I'm here to um, catch the bad guys. I'm not doing the pink and fluffy victim stuff. I'm not putting my arm around somebody and saying, don't worry, it's going to be fine, pet, when I knew fine well that she would be phoning us again or our next door neighbour would be phoning us again the following weekend. Mm. I'm not doing that. Mm. give me a I said right because he said like yes you are and I was like no no I'm not and it was like pantomime oh yes you are oh no I'm not oh yes you are oh no I'm not and then eventually I went well you're the boss I'm supposed to have to I have to because the police is basically the biggest pyramid scheme isn't it the king's at the top and I was at the bottom right so I said to my boss right give me a proper job to do because I'm not doing the pink and fluffy stuff I'm not so he said, right, I want you, because obviously the repeat calls aren't always crime, but they're resource intensive. Yeah. So the repeat calls 
he said, I want you to find a way to reduce them. There was no mention of safeguarding. There was no mention of repeat victimization. I mean, safeguarding wasn't even a word. No. I don't think it was. Certainly I hadn't heard of it. No. It wasn't a thing. There was no conversation about keeping people safe, reducing danger. That wasn't the part, that wasn't the gig. The gig was, I don't want the cops going to these houses all the time because they're taking up too much of our resource time. That was the truth. That was the truth. Yeah. Just fair enough. So I was like, okay. So that's how I got the job. And what I did was I looked at the the calls where all well the majority of calls were coming from. I established the ones that were most resource intensive. And then I just then I obviously through digging through it, realized that 70% of the offenders the perpetrators of domestic violence were actually offenders of other crime anyway right okay they were already known to the police for other things that weren't domestic abuse related that's interesting so um what i did was i got the boss to buy me a whiteboard and put it under the clock in the briefing room because i knew in the briefings that every when you go on duty as a police officer who's in uniform, you go into a room and they tell you what's happened, what's happening today, what your job is, like, oh, I've got somebody, there's such and such is in the cells, you're interviewing them, you're driving the car in that area, you're driving the car in that area, um, you've got paperwork to do, so you're stopping in, like, everything's allocated. And it gets really boring. So everybody looks at the clock because... If you look at your watch, you get shouted at. You know what I mean? Um, so I put the whiteboard under the clock. I got the, the handyman, put the whiteboard under the clock. And what I did is I established a top 10. And the, the cops really bought into it, actually, um, because they were arresting people for things other than domestic abuse, which meant that the domestic abuse calls went down and it didn't have anything to do with the family it was for other crime Mm. so a lot of um people were getting remanded into into custody so that gave the family a respite even if it was just for seven days yeah yeah and that's how that's how it started really and things have massively changed now i mean i remember um calling a police officer and probably similar era that you're talking about you know there wasn't safeguarding I eventually got um special locks on my window yeah yeah um that was something that they did for me but um I got an officer come one time who was just terrible and there were he wasn't trained at all and kind of made me feel like I was at fault yeah. And I just was like, well I, well, I rang them the next day and I said, please don't, whatever you do, send that officer again. Yeah. Um, but whereas nowadays, you know, they're trained, they're trained around domestic abuse, aren't they? And, and there's so much more in place to yeah. support women. But in, yeah. those, in those days, like you say, it was, you know, tell them, you know, what can you do? And I, all they said to me was, well, we can't, we can't prove it. You can't prove, we can't prove anything. So you were just like kind of left like a sitting duck. Yeah, yeah. I used to, um, because I think I, even going back before that, you know, I always had like this kind of spidey sense. 
going on. But I was really fortunate because at the time in the area that I was working in, and also had a really good boss. He was lovely. Yeah. Um, very understanding. And also, I'm really bullshy and I get what I want. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was an organisation set up in Gateshead, which was where I was working. I was working in the Wickham end. It was divided into different areas. It's all different now. And um, they, were, they got lottery funding, I think, in the council for a holistic approach to domestic abuse. So they had set up a team. Um, some of the team looked at perpetrators. Some looked at victims. And some of the team actually looked at children. And I think that was the first one in the country, in the in England and in, in Wales, at least. Wow. To be more holistic. Can you remember what year that was? 97, maybe. Okay. Wow. It was called the Safer Families Project. Okay. So we had... And I'd gone on some training because Gateshead were really good at being quite, and Gateshead Council were really good at about being at the forefront of domestic abuse stuff. Because I found like 70% of the people who were, 70% of the men who were involved in the calls to the police. That's bearing in mind, there's like this much domestic abuse and there's like this, this much of it gets phoned into the busies. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like a massive thing, this much for the police. But 70% of that was other other crime related. So we could deal with that 70% in a different way, in a more targeted way. Yeah. The other 30%, I was like, well, we need a multi-agency approach. Yeah. And Gates had had a fantastic victim support service. Absolutely gold star. And they had then got this Safer Families project set up. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. And it all became the multi-agency public protection stuff. Because that evolved while I was in that in that sphere at the time. There was so much going I was just basically, I walked past that chief inspector's office and I thought, oh, I just don't want this job. But actually, the universe wanted me there. And I was in the right place at the right time because I ended up working on home office projects. I ended up doing, um, you know, the dash model that they use. Okay. Um, I worked on the the project to develop the dash. Tell us about the dash. What is it's the domestic abuse, stalking and harassment. You know, when you when you get a when when you get an incident, organisations fill in the dash model so they can assess you whether you're high, medium, or low risk. Okay. And if you're high risk, you get referred into the Marek process. Yeah. So I was part of the dash. What would I call it? Working party. So yeah. I was going down to the Met every few weeks, and I was the only police constable. Everybody else was a chief inspector or above. Amazing. I was just in the right place at the right time. I was working with home office professors wow. on domestic abuse research. Wow. It seems from what you're telling me, you know, even right back to your young days, you wanted to live by the sea. Then you fell into the police because you saw these ladies with the book. Because they were laughing. Okay. And then you've fallen into this job. And now tell us about, I'd love to know about lockdown. Because lockdown was a massive um, issue for women that had yeah. nowhere to go. 
yeah. you know they were locked down with their perpetrators and had nowhere to go so domestic abuse was massive and do you know what the government put us in lockdown and never give a thought to that yeah can yeah. you imagine if you're a child school if you're living in an abusive family school is your refuge yeah yeah you can't go to school yeah so we we're talking earlier about mental health and how how childhood brain development has been affected by not having the socialization that we normally go when we go to school and we do the things outside of school and we we have actually and this is global pretty much set ourselves up to be dealing with the mental health issues of our teenagers now huge mental health at the minute is just huge. At the top. It is huge huge so then you have these women who couldn't go to work or sometimes for some people i know and i know people will be watching this who are like really is it that bad it is and i would love to swear because i swear a lot it yeah. is that bad it is worse yeah. it's worse than you imagine yeah and there's just so many children that just won't go to school because they're just affected socially because they've got anxiety yeah 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 because I haven't gone through that process of childhood brain development, that socialization of it. Yeah. We've just set ourselves up for a massive task yeah. with that. And I know, I guess, the lockdown was on some level necessary, but only because I don't want to get political. I don't want to get political. Yeah, I mean, I've got my own <laughs> views at the moment. Currently, I've got my own views around that at the moment, which is probably I'm you know I'm thinking that you know what it what was lockdown did we really need to do that well only because we didn't have enough doctors and nurses to care for the people who got ill mm. it wasn't about the numbers who got ill it was not actually being able to look after the numbers that got ill because when they say a hospital is full and mm. I have personal experience of this okay mm. I've got three kids and me and my husband when they say the hospital is full, it doesn't mean the beds are full. It means they only have enough staff to deal with so many patients. Mm. So you can go into a hospital ward. The doctors have said the hospital's full, but there are only two beds taken in that ward. But there are actually six beds in that ward, but four of them are empty because they don't have the staff. Yeah. Well, they were so Which old. is a government strategy. They were so overworked. It was just horrendous, wasn't Insane. it? Insane. Insane. So tell me about what you began in lockdown to support. Okay. Tell well, me. I've always, I've always, because I was a single mum for a long time. I mean, I am married now, but I was, I had three small children and I had a full-time job, but where I live, I mean, I live on the seaside. Do you know how much kayaks cost? They cost a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, even the paddles, like, are probably about, they're probably about £200 now. Oh, wow. You can but, buy the blow-up ones. How much are they there? I don't think that counts. <laughs> I can imagine my son going, yeah, I'll have an inflatable. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So I always had what you would call a side hustle. Yeah. Um, just to, to supplement my income. So I've always been in business for a long time. I've been in business as well as being in the police. I've been retired from the police for a while now. Um, so I've been in business for like 15 years, probably. Okay. Self-employed. And I was in a business network. And we used to, I don't know if you're in any networking groups, but we yeah. used to meet in this particular network. Uh, we used to meet once a month. 
And because of the lockdown, it went on Zoom. You know, yeah. strap line 2021, <laughs> you're on mute. Um, so we were on this Zoom call and there were probably 25, 30 people on that call. And I'm in a very privileged position, I think, because I have a police pension. So while I might live in poverty with just a police pension, in reality, my business income is bonus money. Yeah. But people in business, it's really can be really tight. And we had a lot of people on this Zoom call who were very frightened, very stressed. They were going to lose their businesses. They have, you know, shops, cafes, they have staff. And at the beginning, we didn't know what was happening. Yeah. We didn't know what the, the next two years was going it to look was, like. Yeah, it wasn't beginning. It was mad. Yeah. So they were the very stressed people on this call. And there's me. I'm sitting. My business used to be face to face, but I actually always had it on a Zoom call or frequently had it on a Zoom call because the business I have, I wanted my friends and family all over the country to benefit from what I do. So I would quite often do my appointments on Zoom. What do you do? I'm a utility warehouse partner. Okay. So I have energy, broadband, da-da-da-da-da. Okay. So mine was already... Actually, when we went into lockdown, my business doubled in the first lockdown because everybody wanted to talk. Everybody wanted to... Because they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't want to spend that more, more money than they absolutely had to. It's like that now. I couldn't have predicted how mad it would be with the energy. Yeah. So anyway, I'm on this Zoom call. People are panicking. And I said, right, you've got to, we don't know what's going to happen. But what can you do now that you don't have to go to work? Think of something that you want to do that you've always put off because you when you when you're self-employed you know this mm. you 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 do more hours yeah don't you like we're sitting here it's half past seven at night <laughs> yeah right. now yeah. I'm used to that having worked shifts for many many years I don't mind I could sit on, on a zoom call at midnight I don't care yeah. but most people work sort of eight ish till six ish yeah don't they? when you're in self-employed place you don't you're like crazy yeah. it's your baby isn't it well you so I'm on this call and I was like what are you going to do and it was like well I'm going to learn to crochet I'll get YouTube videos I'm going to learn to crochet and I was like another one was like well we're allowed to go out for an hour I'm going to go walking I'm going to do some Nordic walk and I'm going to get fit because I normally sit on my backside all day or whatever and other things and things and things and they said well what are you going to do and I said well I've got this book in the back of my head and it's been there for about 15 years because I can see a pattern because of my background in domestic abuse with the police. I see a pattern. And I want to teach people that pattern so that they can stop domestic abuse at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because you don't get into a relationship that becomes abusive. You get into a relationship with somebody who is going to abuse you but you don't know what you're looking for at the beginning. Yeah. You don't know what those red flags are. Yeah. And I've got this book in the back of my head. I'm going to write the book. A month later, 
I'm back on that call with the same people in the same business network. And we're still in lockdown and it's like, well, what have you been doing? What's going on? How can we pivot our businesses to do? Can you do it like this? Can you do it online? Yoga oh. teachers online. And then Joe Wicks picks up and does it for free. What the hell? Yeah. You did it for nothing. I'm like, what are you doing? You're putting people out of business. Anyway, different conversation. And then they said to me, um, how's the book coming on? And I was like, because I've got me, I was like, what book? And I'm looking through, I'm looking through my notes. <laughs> looking through my notes from the previous meeting. I was thinking, did I write? Oh God, I said I was gonna write a book. <laughs> so they kind of bullied me and they did. <laughs> Yeah, they because accountability and when you're self-employed and you're hanging out with other self-employed people, they really do hold you. You accountable. need that. You do. You do. Like it was a Monday morning. It used to be a Monday morning. Like, what are you going to do this week? What are you going to do this month? At the beginning of the month. Have you done it? Have you got it done? Let's. Have you got it done? The three three things. Da da da. Um. So I had. So then they had obviously started talking. These people who know other people who know other people and then I started getting messages saying um hello I I heard you writing a book about domestic abuse because my plan was to write I wanted stories I didn't want statistics because the idea is the book is written for a 14 year old girl yeah because I wanted to be preventing it there's loads of great stuff out there about how how people have survived abuse yeah some great supportive literature but what i want is don't get into it in the first place the preventative stuff the prevention yeah, yeah the prevention yeah. so my my kick is all about prevention so it's targeted at 14 year old girls and their parents so i started getting messages I've been in an abusive relationship because I thought if I can tell the story and then I can sh- flag up the red flags. So is it fiction then? Is it, or is no, it's it... real. Oh, it's right. Okay. It's five true stories. They eventually got, I picked five. There are gaps. There are lots of women who came to me and said, please tell my story. And I said, well, okay. But when they start writing it, it's very hard. Yeah. It's very emotional. It's real. Yeah. They've got children. Yeah. Um. Some people have been nearly murdered. It's huge. And then it's going. It's then going published with that story. I mean, that story. I mean, it's they're all. They're, there are five stories in there. They're all anonymous, but they are true stories. Right. And I said to the ladies, write, write me about your relationship from the moment you met. So from the moment you met, and there's a red flag in half an hour, really, yeah, which is terrifying. Because even I didn't think it would be that quick. Yeah. And you know there is. Yeah. Uh, so what was... I've done is I pulled the stories. Sorry. And I was just saying, and there is as well. You know, these you if you don't know how to spot these early. And there's so many early red flags. Yeah, so many. If you're, if you're not aware of how to spot them or don't know what they're, you know, what they may be, you just, you know, you're going to be prone to then get, you know. But you know, there's a pattern. There is a pattern. Yeah. And the pattern is 
speed, going fast, getting involved, seriously involved very quickly. I want to have your babies. Let's move in together. Let's buy your car together. I want you be mine. I want you to have my babies at the speed. Mm. Isolation, getting away from friends and family. Yeah. Um, things like I don't. I, your mother doesn't like me. Your best friend made a pass at me while you were at the toilet. Yeah. Isolation, getting you. So yeah, you just you and him. Yeah. And stalking behavior, wanting to know messages all the time, and it's a pattern. Yeah. And if we can teach teenagers and parents, teenagers the pattern, what to look for, what the parents need to look for, because the isolation is real. He comes in, you've known him six months, he wants to get in, six weeks, and he wants to get engaged. Okay, okay. Like, uh, well, the performance that we watched today, um, Red Flags, it was, they li- they literally moved in together three months. And, you know, it starts with all the love bombing, doesn't it? And love then, bombing. yeah, yeah. So all of that needs to be taught in schools. And that's where we are at the minute. We need to be teaching that in every single school. Every kid needs that book. Every parent needs that book. Every professional needs that book. Yeah. Because I've had women who worked in, and this is a word, right? I was at a conference in October with ClearPath UK and Claire, who runs ClearPath UK, which is a domestic abuse support um, kick. Yes. She said, the, and I heard some stories that day, but the worst sentence I heard that day was the domestic abuse industry. Wow. industry and I nearly fell off my chair and I was like oh my god it is it's a bloody industry how horrible is that yeah so every professional needs to read that yeah you need to see it and stop it before it starts in the police they have a term it's called target hardening so for example the best way I can explain it is you've got a house and a house next to each other yeah this house has got a dog. This house doesn't have a dog. This is a burglar. Which house is that burglar going to burgle? The house without the dog or the house with the dog? Well, clearly without. Yes, because the one with the dog is target hardened. Mm. It's hard for the burglar to target that house because of the dog. So we'll target that house, which is not target hardened. Mm. I want the target hardened teenage girls so that when somebody comes along who is going to abuse them, they can't mm. because that girl will see what's happening and go, hey, mate. Yeah, yeah. But I and also need to teach boys. We need to teach boys what is appropriate behavior because we don't do that either. Yeah. We teach boys. It's actually to be allies as well for women you know absolutely they are not not all men abuse no but the majority of abusers are men and we can't escape that actual fact Mm. so we need to look at what the problem is the problem is men who are abusive because men who are abusive are abusive towards women towards children and towards other men Mm. and animals an animal that well that's a big that's what the wow. huge red flag the, the there are a couple of things in the book that's that it needs amending i need 
more stories. One is cruelty to animals. The women who had experienced that and who were going to write for me couldn't. It was too heartbreaking for them to put themselves through that process. So cruelty to animals is a big red flag. So if you're watching this and you've got a kid who's pulling the wings off flies, that kid needs counselling. Yeah. Because that is the thin end of the wedge. Yeah. And you're right, you know, like it can be all these small traumas from a from your childhood can then build up yeah. and then it can become more and more and more traumas that you that you hold within your body and you've got to re- be able to release them or understand how to release them because then you're going to be prone to abuse because you you know you're an empath you're a codependent you've not learned how to deal with traumas and so you're open to all these abusers if you come from a background where trauma is normal yeah you will trauma bond and you will have a relationship that is traumatic because that's your normal yeah and everybody's normal is different i mean you know like everybody every family's got that own crazy little quirky things and that own language but if you grow up with parents who were swearing at each other and hitting each other and da 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 da, yeah, that's the normal. That's normal. Yeah. And you grow up with this, um, I don't know, it's like a toxic buildup in your body, isn't it? Like so many people are ill, yeah. physically ill, yeah, because of emotional trauma. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole different realm to look at. You just hold it in your body because you've no idea that you've, you know, you from. Yeah childhood right up to right up if you've spent a childhood where you've been hyper vigilant if you've spent a childhood where you thought well i will i will stay small i will stay quiet because that's what keeps me safe yeah all that trauma is going to be held within you and when people say to me oh but children are resilient that's nonsense children are not resilient children do not have a choice yeah they are traumatized and they stay shut up because they haven't got a choice they haven't got an outlet because the people who are supposed to take care of them are are, are giving them the trauma yeah so what next what next for Reed Pearson what's on the cards I'll tell you what's on the cards right um workshops I've already set up a members group. I do workshops every couple of months with a lady who is called Sally, who is an emotional freedom technique practitioner. Because just as we were talking about trauma, I do, um, Sally and I do uh, a week of workshops online. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can join us. And I do, it's like back up good cough, right? I do the domestic abuse stuff. It's for women who have been in abusive relationships because, strangely enough, if you've been in an abusive relationship and you've survived it, yeah, the chances are you'll get into another one. Yeah. Because the love bombing from this new guy makes this guy, who's an absolute... Yeah. He looks lovely, but actually he's just sucking up your vulnerability. Yeah. So that's what we do. We talk to women and I do the morning workshop. You don't have to, it's a Facebook or it's WhatsApp or whatever. 
Um, so I do that workshop and then Sally comes along with the emotional freedom technique and the tapping and she takes the trauma out because I couldn't have women who I've had this workshop with sitting with the trauma inside them because it literally causes illness. It does call causing illness, definitely. Yeah. So Sally is the she she brings the relief of the trauma through the EFT practice. Okay, talk us through a little bit about for the people that don't know what are EFT and tapping. What well, emotional freedom. It's a I suppose it's like a neuroscience, isn't it? You'd have to get Sally on. Get Sally on. She'll tell you about it all the, the stuff behind it but it for me it's just a way that if you've been traumatized and you need to process those emotions because we're taught you know just get on with it stiff up a lip yeah. da, da, da. Yeah. and all emotions whether we call them positive or negative whether it's happy or sad and sad sad or angry isn't necessarily an, a negative emotion it's just an emotion and if you're sad and angry because you've been abused you're absolutely justified. Yeah. You're absolutely justified to be angry. Yeah, cool. But you need to get it out. You need to sit with it as well, don't you? And just yeah. feel that. And let you need to feel. You yeah. need to feel it. Yeah. You need to allow yourself. And we provide a safe space for people to feel all of those emotions yeah. and get those emotions out. So you're not sitting and building up fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue like joint pain muscle pain because this is massive it's massive now for women yeah you know how many women do you know who've got fibromyalgia i know so many i didn't know any when it when i was 18 i didn't even know it existed it, it wasn't a thing it wasn't I, a thing but i tell you what the, what's really interesting if you look at it historically a lot of women get put on antidepressants yeah yeah so back in the day my mother's circle a lot of those women were on antidepressants and I when I was in a previous marriage I had two small children I went to my GP and she prescribed antidepressants yeah so six months in I was like this isn't they're not working I still it's feel the same bring it up isn't it it's, just, it's not looking I still like feel that. the same yeah. so I went back to the GP and I said I know what I've got to do I'm not depressed. I'm just married to an ass. Yeah. I need to get divorced. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. So I it's did. It's terrifying. It, any, any form of tablets is a blanket. It's it's about what's underneath, you know, getting what's underneath. To yeah. Of the problem, yeah. you know. So do you know what? It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Ree. Thank think you so much. Any last things that you want to say before we oh, go? There's, there's so much to do, but I'm really, really committed to this vision that I have where people will know what these red flags are mm -hmm. and we stop teaching our boys, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. Let's just stop doing that, please. Stop doing that. Yeah. Because that might be okay if you want to pass your driving test or if you want to get a job, if you sit in an exam, try, try, try again. But if you ask somebody to have sex and she says no, no, yeah. don't try again, leave it alone. Yeah. And actually, I've got two sons um, and I teach my sons, you need to get a resounding yes, please, before you go anywhere near. Yeah. Because I need you need to protect your boys as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yes means 
Yes, you need a, we absolutely. Need to, yes, yes, yes. We need to teach young people sight these signs of red flags. It's just so important, isn't it? Oh, that yeah. that is the most important thing yeah. because you don't then live a lifelong journey of trauma, trauma and, and recovery. Yeah. So and, let's stop. I haven't the need the recovery, and we're never going to catch everybody, but yeah. we need to stop the ones where we can. Because yeah. somebody said to me, "Well, what about this?" And I'm like, "Well." I have to start somewhere. I have to start. And, and even if get the one person for me, you know, even though I'm doing this podcast, even if I can support one woman, absolutely through the podcast, one life makes than, it worth it. You know, it was before. Yeah, yeah. Thank exactly. you. Thank you so much, Ray. Thank you, and thank yeah. you for your podcast. I have been listening to the ladies on your podcast. Oh my god yeah oh let's stop that let's stop that happening yeah it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure thank you so much thank you so much for having me thank you for what you do thank you you for what you do i'll never stop i'm gonna have to come back around a couple of times (laughs) bless you take care thank you bye